0: Through the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way the title of today's message is body parts and you can see from paul's word picture from his illustration where we get that idea there are a great deal of metaphors that the new testament and the bible in general uses to refer to god's people as we walk through the pages of scripture we hear god's people referred to as the bride of christ um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul calls the Corinthians his letter from Christ. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Christians are called the temple of God. There are passages in which we are referred to as the new creation, or in John 15, we're referred to as the branches. 1 Corinthians 3 refers to us as God's building, and there are several places where we're referred to as exiles. There are many more that we could list, but one of the most common pictures and one of the most powerful metaphors that the scripture used to refer to God's people is this idea of the body, the body of Christ. It's all over Paul's letters. In fact, this picture um, is expanded further in other places that we don't have time to to study, and if if we looked at ephesians and colossians we would understand that there is a head of this body and that head is christ uh, furthermore we understand that even from the very first days of his salvation paul understood a little bit of this concept remember when god spoke to him on the road to damascus as paul is laying there in fear and in trembling in in paul uh hears the voice of god say paul paul or saul at the time why are you persecuting me where does that idea come from? That they were he was persecuting God. He was persecuting the body of Christ. And so that picture of the the people of God being connected to Jesus Christ and all connected to one another was, uh, th- those the seeds for that idea were planted in, in Paul's very first encounter with the voice of God. And as you read passages like 1 Corinthians 12 and where the the, this concept is referred to. We see that it, the, the picture of the body is is often used to refer to the whole group of all those who name the name of Christ, the universal church, if you will, and it's also used to refer to individual local gatherings, local bodies, as it were. Sometimes, even in the same passage, the author seems to move back and forth between the two different concepts. But it's important to recognize here: this is. is is this terminology is used here in this passage that God is speaking through the Apostle Paul to a local body. Um, He says in verse 27, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So he is speaking to a a local group of a cluster of house churches that were gathering together. But that doesn't uh, negate the importance of the implications for the whole church, the church universal. And as we think about this metaphor, I, I just wrote down a few thoughts as we walk through this passage together. And the, the first one here that I, I jotted down is the simple idea that a body has parts. We're going to make some several obvious statements here this morning, but hopefully the implications and the application will speak to your hearts in life. We know that uh, while we refer to our physical bodies as a body, we also understand that there are different parts of that body. You know, if a, if, if a small child goes to the doctor, and, and, and maybe they're just kind of grabbing a hold of the vocabulary of the English language, and the doctor asks the little child, where does it hurt? They'll often have to point to the parts that are not well, that are aching, or where the owies are. As we, as we move along in our um, use and command of the English language, uh, we as adults can can put a little bit more um, behind that verbally, and so as we go to the doctor, we can explain that, uh, well, it's, it's, it's my head, and it's this part of my head that's bothering me, or it's this, this, this leg here, this knee that's giving me the trouble. And we can articulate, because it doesn't do any good to just say, uh, I, uh, it hurts in my body. We, we know that it's important to, to address the individual parts of our body. And in the same way, the church has various body parts. We, it's important to recognize that we are one body. That's part of Paul's discussion and argument here, the unity and the oneness that we as believers uh, uh, possess. But he's taking the image further here in this context of corporate worship and of using our gifts in the church. And so he says in, in like verse 14, "...the body does not consist of one member, but of many." Uh, There are many parts, according to verse 20, uh, yet one body. And then verse 27, as we read, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So we're just going to, I'm just going to leave that first point there and and we're going to come back and build on that. But the second thought here is that a body has different parts. You can underline that word different. Um, There's no reason, there's a reason that this metaphor is so helpful so that we can uh, all understand it. Um, we don't have to carry a diagram or a PowerPoint with us because we carry the object lesson wherever we go. We recognize that a body has different parts that do different jobs. My dad always would get after me if I was trying to use the wrong tool for the wrong job, if I was doing a project, that that stapler wasn't meant to pound a nail in the wall or whatever it was, that there were different tools that, that did a very good job at what they were designed for. We also know that with our body. Now, some of you may have mastered doing some strange things with body parts that weren't intended to do. Maybe you figured out to pick things up with your toes or write something with your toes. Maybe you're you're good at little things like that. We also we understand that a hand works much better for writing than do your toes. Um, And and Paul even brings out just some kind of he gets a bit humorous here with his illustrations. He says um, uh, with regard to uh, in verse fifteen. well, well, uh, jump ahead to verse 17. He said, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? If, if all we did, if all of our, our body was just covered with ears, and we looked a little bit goofy that way, we might be able to hear extra well. Uh, uh, the husbands in the room wouldn't have any excuse for not hearing the things your wife's asked you to do, but uh, we couldn't see anything or we wouldn't have any uh, sense of smell, uh, we recognize that it's good to have different body parts that do different things. They have different jobs. How much more so in the body of Christ must we learn to recognize that we've all been designed differently. We all have different roles in the body of Christ. We're all unique. We're all designed like others, uh, unlike others. We, we've been designed by God for specific purposes, with specific gifts. And I love this reminder in verse 18. Look at verse 18 with you, with me, if you will. But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. You know, there can be this sense sometimes that we are not grateful for our gifts. We're not grateful for the way that we've been designed, and we can look longingly on Others that we think are far more gifted or, or have these talents or abilities or have been designed in such a way that just we get a little jealous or we just simply give up because well, I'm not like them, so I couldn't, I can't do anything. And God here wants us to understand that, first of all, he's the one doing the arranging in the body, just as God designed our physical bodies. Put the hands where they go, the arms where they go, the legs where they go, the The brain, where it's supposed to go. God's the one that did that. He was the one in charge of the design process. He says, in the same way, He's in charge of the design process of the body of Christ. That word arrange is, is the Greek word that speaks of an orderly and specific placement, to be appointed to a specific task or function. The word is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Psalm chapter 12, verse 5. I love this verse. He says, Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, said the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. That's that same word. I will place him in the safety which he longs. God has placed you in the body of Christ where he wants you. He has gifted you in the way that He wants you gifted. He has designed your unique personality for a purpose. Now, I'm not talking about uh, the the fact that we need to grow. We need to learn the Word of God. We need to, um, of course, uh, grow in our, our fight against sin and resisting sin and temptation. We need to be able to do all those things. We should mature the process of sanctification but you, your personality, your gifts, have been given and designed by God for a purpose. And he longs for you to understand your place in the body. God is the great arranger. We see this picture all the way throughout the scriptures, throughout the Old Testament. The order of creation is set by him, as are both salvation and judgment. One writer says, he sets the stars In the sky, just as he gathers the waters and the oceans into their boundaries, it's God who makes Abraham the father of many nations and Jacob's descendants as numerous as the sands of the sea. He makes King David, he makes David king and establishes his throne forever. He will place his enemies under his feet as his footstool. He appoints both prophet and servant to their service and determine salvation and judgment both of the individual and of the nation of the whole. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. God arranging, God placing those where He wants them. Notice that same verse, verse 18, finishes with the idea. He says, God has arranged each of the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. It can be tempting to think that, first of all, uh, My gift's not important. Who I am and my role is not important. And it can be tempting to to become jealous and maybe even a little bit resentful towards God. Like, why didn't you make me like this? Why didn't you create me like this person? And this passage reminds us not only that we have um, been designed by God, not only has He carefully and specifically arranged the body of Christ in the way that He wants it, but he desires to use us for his glory. And that's the third thought here, is that all the parts of the body are essential. All the parts of the body are essential. This passage uh, goes on even to explain um, in verse like 22, he says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. It's easy to acknowledge and understand that the, 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 the roles or the people that we think are especially gifted or most important, uh, it's easy to say, well, of course, they're essential. Of course, the body needs them. But look at this role or look at me and my gifting. And he says, listen, especially the ones that seem to be weaker, especially the ones that seem to be less significant, those are the ones that God longs to honor. There are no useless organs in the body of Christ. For a long time, doctors had uh, no idea what the appendix was for, and still not uniform consensus, but it seemed to be a unessential spare part thrown in there. Some research suggests that the appendix, appendix however, acts as a safe house for good bacteria. And uh, the more we learn about the human body, the more we understand that uh, just how amazing god has designed each part of our physical body and how essential it is to the functioning of the whole now you can still live without certain parts you can take the appendix out and be okay you can have a gallbladder removed and be all right but it's not the same in the body of christ we can't we we don't have any any anybody in the body of christ that's useless like God's like, ah, I threw that extra part in there. I wasn't sure what it was supposed to do, but we just needed to fill a pew, so here it is. And, and furthermore, there's, there's none that's like, well, you know, when I was a kid, I had my appendix removed, and I'm all right. So maybe I'm kind of like that appendix in the body of Christ. Like, if I just step into the shadows, if I remove myself, if I'm not there at all, like, nobody will notice. It's not a big deal. And according to this passage, the Apostle Paul makes it so clear that that's not true. Everybody is essential. (laughs) 2020 was the year of being told (laughs) whether we were essential workers or not. Some of you were deemed essential and you got to go to work. Others of you were told to be unessential and you got to stay home. Well, listen, I don't care what the government says. Pandemic aside, the Bible says that we're all essential to the body of Christ. There's nobody who's going to get that label, unessential, not important, not significant, not worthy. And for some of us, this takes a lot of undoing of of bad teaching or or bad self-talk or or things that you just either were told explicitly or maybe just begin to believe over the years that you're not worthy, that you're not important. And if that's you, you need to hear the voice of God. You need to hear the truth about you, the truth that will usurp that lie. The truth is that you are essential to the body of Christ. Fourthly, we need to learn then that all the parts of the body must work together. All the parts of the body must work together. Towards the end of this passage in verse... uh, I'll, I'll read in verse 24, a middle of 24, he says, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You see, that idea of togetherness is so crucial to understanding this metaphor we, as um, our bodies get older, I've heard some of you testify to this, um, some of the parts of the body don't work the way that they once did, in the way that you wish they would, uh, it, sometimes you're you maybe even find yourself verbally talking, like leg move, you know, muscles lift this thing, for goodness sakes, it's, it's like 10 pounds, come on, Imagine even being a runner and coming up to the starting line of an important race. And as you take off, you find your feet running in different directions. They just decide to have a mind of their own, and one's going to go this way, and the other's going to go that way. You can imagine not only how painful it would be, but how uh, inefficient to a runner something like that would be. All too often, the body of Christ is that way. Paul exhorts us to unity, to working together. When one member is suffering, suffer along with them, walk alongside of them. When one is rejoicing, come alongside and rejoice. When another is honored, come and honor that member. When Paul picks up this picture in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, he, he explains this idea of unity And how it ties into the body even further. You don't have to turn there, but in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1, he says this, I therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And do so with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. For there's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then you jump ahead to verse 15. And he says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love when the body of Christ is working and all the members are working properly, the body can grow and be built up in love. God has called us to live together, to serve together, to work together in unity. All the body parts must work together. So what is God saying to us through a passage like this? How does it speak to us specifically where we are today? I wrote down three things. First of all, the body matters to God. The body matters to God. Many of you have found yourself hurt in various ways by the church. Maybe this church, maybe another church throughout the years. And maybe at times you've been tempted to, or maybe you have, written off the church. Um, There's a book that came out a number of years ago entitled, They Love Jesus But Not the Church. There have been many who have walked away from the gathered body of Christ. They love Jesus, but walking with other believers has been too painful, too messy, too ugly, and some just choose to write the body of Christ off. I want to say though, without excusing sins or sin of other members or leaders whether here or somewhere else that as believers we not only do we not get to do that, it's it's deadly to do that. Imagine cutting your arm off in Tossing it on the counter and expecting that arm to be just fine, disconnected from the body. Maybe someday I'll go back and reattach it, but it's it's troubling, and I don't I don't want it right now. What's going to happen to that? I'm not going to get graphic here, and disc- I'm, not, I'm not a medical expert, and so I probably wouldn't be accurate anyways. But let's just say that it's not going not gonna to work well later on. It can't survive on its own. It can only survive when it's attached to the body of Christ. We have to understand that the body matters to God. He has made Jesus Christ the head of the church. I love how, bluntly, Michael Bird states this. He says, to believe in the gospel is to believe in the Savior, to experience the multifaceted elements of salvation, and to identify with those who number themselves among the saved. Understood this way, it becomes practically impossible to believe in the gospel without belonging to the gospel community. Did you hear that? It becomes practically impossible to believe in the gospel without belonging to the gospel community. There's no vision anywhere in the New Testament. You can't find it of believers who are like, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm going to do it on my own. I, I don't need the body of Christ. I don't want the body of Christ. It's impossible. For as God draws us into his triune life, he does that by drawing us into a community that praises the Father, imitates the Son, and follows the Spirit. Joining a church then is... Uh, Joining the church is not, then, an optional extra after one receives Christ. How can one receive Christ's promise and then reject Christ's body? The church, as a living chapel of the gospel, enables those who believe the gospel to stay connected to Christ by inhabiting the community where the Spirit of Christ dwells most, most fully and where Christ's blessings are most present. The body is crucial to God, and it is essential to your spiritual survival. This last year has been um, vexing for, to say the least, for pastors and leaders all across the world. Uh, I I regularly read of how discouraged pastors are at so many of their church members that they haven't seen, they haven't heard a thing from in the last year throughout the pandemic. And I recognize that absence from the local body in some cases has been a, uh, a necessity, at least for a period of time, for health reasons and, and that sort of thing. But there's a dangerous pattern that started to emerge. And I'm not just speaking here, but I'm not just speaking about the country. You understand what I'm saying? If you're okay For like a year without having any connectedness to the body of Christ, there is a tremendous danger for your soul. If it is not bothered, maybe I'm speaking now to the camera, if it's not bothered you to be away or disconnected from God's people for 12, 13 months, I would say that there there is a serious problem going on in your soul. Now, I understand that there have been ways where people have remained connected throughout a physical absence from the Sunday morning church gathering. They're still praying with people throughout the week, or maybe they're meeting in smaller groups and everything. That's that's fantastic. But when you can have no connectivity to the body of Christ for a long period of time and be like, that's all right. This passage teaches us that there's something wrong. Not only are you damaging the body by not playing your part and using your gifts, but you're bringing great, great trouble upon your own soul. If you want to talk more about this, I I would love to chat more because it's something that I'm, it's a growing concern. And it's not just me, it's pastors all over this country. As they look at, church members or attenders that were regularly there leading up to last March and then all of a sudden they just have dropped off the face of the earth. You wonder, what's going on? Do they? Is there nothing there that longs to gather with God's people, to worship with God's people, to pray with God's people, to, to uh, encourage and fellowship with God's people? How can you be okay with that? The body matters to God and it ought to matter to us. Paul said there, if one member is suffering, others suffer along with it. The body matters to God. The second application that I want to mention here is to remind you today that you matter to God. The body of Christ is important, but not just in this general, vague, big way, because this passage speaks about individual members of the body. He's not just speaking about the whole thing collectively he's speaking about individuals. I want you to hear this morning that you matter to God, that God has created you and designed you and gifted you for a specific purpose. We said last week or two weeks ago that everybody has a gift. Everybody has a a part to play, but I want you to hear this. You matter more than the stuff you do. You matter more than the jobs that you might be involved in doing around the church building and among the body of Christ. You are valuable to God for who you are, not just for what you do. There are times when I've had to catch myself. I'll come home from work and I'll I'll look around the house and I'll see like you know, school bags that were tossed in places that they didn't belong, I'll see some dishes in the sink, um, I'll see a, a, a vacuum sitting out with hints written all over it, but no vacuuming being done, and if I can walk home from my, my time here at the, at the church during the day, it's easy for me to start barking orders at my kids, hey, how come that's not done, and why don't you fill the bird feeders, why don't you get this done, and and all of a sudden now I realize that the, the first interaction with, that they've had with me since they left for school and I, I left for work is me just telling them what to do. I haven't stopped to value them for who they are and enjoy the relationship at all. It's just like, let's get to work, get stuff done. And the subtle message could be, listen, you're important when you do stuff. You're important when you're getting the stuff done that I ask you to do. I'm not saying that there isn't isn't stuff to do around the church building and and, and, and roles that need to be filled. There, There certainly are we need to come to the settled understanding that we're valuable to God and to the body, not just for what we do, not for just, just, for, just for what we contribute, but because of who we are. You matter to God. And then finally, you matter to the body. The body matters to God. You matter to God. And you matter to the body. When we're not playing our part, we're missing out. And as I was thinking about this, the subtle message could be, you better get in there and get to work. I, I don't want you to take that. If that's what you hear me saying, then, then I, I need to kind of review this and come back to the second service, and we'll try to do it again, and I'll do it better. But if you hear me saying, uh, everybody, if you're not working, you need to get to work, um, th- then I, I'm, not, I'm not communicating very clearly. That's not the message of grace. The message of grace says, you are welcome. You are valued. You are precious to God, and you're precious to us. You're valuable to the body of Christ. And we would love to be able to help you flourish in the way that God has gifted you so that you could play the part that God has called you to. You see, one is works and law and guilt. Come on, get to work. Why aren't you doing more stuff? And the other is a message of grace. You are valuable to God. You are valuable to the body. And we don't want you missing out on the blessing that you could be to other people. On the blessing of glorifying God through the way that he has designed and gifted you. We want to choose grace over guilt. (laughs) That's our hope. That's our goal. You're precious to God. And you are precious to the body. This week, we celebrate Holy Week, and I hope that you'll be taking some time to reflect and pray on those days leading up to Jesus' crucifixion and to his resurrection. In fact, if you got a prayer guide, if you didn't, make sure you grab one on your way out. We have some different prayers for each day of the week that kind of tie into uh, the the Holy Week, and I would love for you to join us in prayer throughout the week, Um, just recalibrating our minds and and thinking and looking forward to the resurrection. But on that night that Jesus, night before Jesus went to the cross, he spent some time in prayer with the Father. He prayed for the disciples, prayed some very powerful things in John 17. But at the end of his prayer, he turns away from the disciples specifically and begins to pray for the body of Christ. And so I close this morning with this prayer from Jesus. He says, I'm not praying only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me. So that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity. That the world will know that you sent me. And that you love them as much as you love me. Father I pray this morning. That we would be convinced. Down throughout every fiber of our being. Every part of our body. Would know that you, Father, love us as much as you love Jesus. God, there are some of us who, when we hear that phrase, that last phrase that Jesus prayed, we hear a statement like that, we recoil. We may believe that God loves us a little bit, we may believe that you tolerate us a little bit, Lord. But to truly believe that you love us as you do your Son, Jesus Christ, can seem almost too good to be true. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see how precious we are in your sight. May you open up our eyes to see how precious the body of Christ is. Lord, for some of my brothers and sisters who are not here this morning, and and Lord, you know their hearts. I I can't judge motives and hearts, but Father, there are some people who have stayed away for this last year, and they're living in in sinful fear. Lord, would you convict their hearts? There are some who don't believe the body of Christ is of value, that they are just fine watching a message on TV Father, would you overwhelm them with the beauty of the body of Christ? And would they catch a vision for not only how precious the body is, but how important their role in the body is? Lord God, may we never become okay with being a detached limb. May we never be okay with living separately apart from the body the way you designed Lord, I pray that here at Brown Corners we would do a better job of facilitating those gifts and encouraging and helping each member, each part of the body to flourish, to become what you designed them to be. Lord God, we thank you for your grace and kindness that you want to use us. What a privilege. It's not a burden to To serve. It's not a wearisome labor to use our gifts. It's a privilege, Lord, to be able to give back what you have so generously given to us. Lord, continue to shape and grow our understanding of this picture that the Apostle Paul paints for us of the body of Christ. May we live in such a way that recognizes and honors Jesus Christ as our head. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. God bless you.